Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, family. My name is Eric Frias. I'm a covenant member here at The Well. Uh, my family and I are part of the Easton Park CG. Gracias. Um, and it is my joy to serve with Well Kids. Yeah. Um, and so today we're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 35, verses 20 through 30, 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goat skins brought them. And everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use and the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goats here. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, y'all. How are we? Good. Um, okay. One, uh, I'm a little bit sick if you cannot hear that, so bear with me today. Uh, if my voice gives out, then Jen is going to come up and preach. Oh, you're not? Okay. Uh, okay, secondly, uh, let me say this. Uh, I want to make sure I'm not alone. Uh, how many of y'all at least teared up last week, if not all the way full cry during baptisms? Good. Okay, good. I want to make sure we have some hearts in this room, all right? Um, man, it was really, really good. Uh, I was snotting in the front row knowing I had to get back up on stage, right? Like, uh, God's presence amongst us was really palpable. I think, and really encouraging to see. And uh, even, honestly, hearing a lot of the people's stories about their faithfulness in discipleship, like the people that were being baptized had so many faithful people pouring into them that got them into the baptismal waters, highlighting the importance of discipleship in our church. And so God is alive, he is active, he is moving, he is working in our generation and in our city, amen? Like it's exciting to be a part of. And so uh, today what we're actually doing is we're closing our discipleship series uh, and really all of our discipleship focus that we've had throughout this entire fall. Uh, we've been in the book of Titus really looking at the importance of discipleship. At retreats, we also did discipleship through the book of Ephesians and even Celebration Sunday last week as we are dedicating children and as we are uh, thinking about the next generation, as we are bringing in covenant members, baptizing people, like all of those are forms of discipleship. And so we are going to close our discipleship series today, uh, getting really, really practical and perhaps depending on how it goes this year, uh, introducing a new rhythm in our church as well, which I'll talk to you about in a minute. And so once again, Exodus 35, if you have your Bibles, will be there the whole morning. 
And let me give us a quick recap of all of our discipleship thought so that we know where we're going this morning as we get really practical in the midst of our discipleship. Uh, Every single week, you've seen this tool that we have thrown up on the screen talking about discipleship. We say that a disciple is somebody who loves, follows, and serves Jesus. Therefore, discipleship or disciple making is really helping people to love, follow, and serve Jesus but really engaging all of them, all of their heart, all of their mind, all of their soul, and all of their strength. Excuse me. Um, And so thinking about like, how is it that we take a command of Christ and actually follow that command with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How is it that we take this idea of discipleship and think about something like prayer and not just do the work of prayer, but actually allow our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength to be engaged as we think about this idea of prayer or when we read the scriptures or really any of the commands of Christ, how do we take this and then do this with all of ourselves? And then we thought about how we can take this idea of discipleship and bring it into the personal or the corporate aspect of the church as well. In other words, you can take any command of Christ and you can filter it through it and you can ask, are you really loving the Lord your God with all of yourself? Or are you just following the command of Christ, almost thoughtlessly missing how he wants to engage all of us in the process? (coughs) This is going to be hard to get through today, y'all. Pray for me. Um, And so thinking about heart, soul, mind, strength in the midst of this, okay? Our heart is really our emotions and things of that nature. Our soul is our beliefs or our convictions. Our mind is our thoughts or our reasoning, our thinking, and our strength is our actions or our works or our obedience. And so all of them should really be engaged as we think about trying to align our loves with the fullness of the heart of Christ. And so today we're gonna be asking, uh, what does it look like to engage with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength with this understanding of something like giving? our financial giving to Christ and to the Lord. How do we love, follow, and serve Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength in our giving? Uh, Now, before we dive in, I do want to make a quick confession, okay? I hate preaching on giving. Like, I really hate it. Uh, And the biggest reason why is because I grew up in a church that I believed abused the topic of giving, Uh, I grew up in a prosperity gospel type of church where uh, the giving was really a means by which you can then uh, get blessed by God as if God is a cosmic vending machine. And so you give and you get more riches. You give and you get more blessing. And you would give to the church and the pastor would end up driving around in a Rolls Royce or a Bentley. That was a genuine truth in my church. (coughs) So because of this... (coughs) Um, I never want to sound even remotely close to this, right? However, I've also been convicted over and over and over again that money is one of the biggest idols in our lives. It is one of the things that we are tempted to worship above and over God himself. And even for those of us who don't think that we're greedy, you're probably still more controlled by money than you would like to admit. Like what gets more of your heart or your soul, or your mind, or your strength? What gets more of your obedience, of your active service? Do you spend more time trying to build your financial portfolio, or more time trying to build the kingdom of God? Like, we're in church, okay, so it's okay to be honest, even if we fall into this. What stirs up your heart's affections more? 
Is it the thrill of getting a raise or is it the thrill of interacting with God in the midst of a worship setting? Like, what is it that you're actually after? We know in our minds what the right answer to that is, but our strength, our actions often betray us because we are quick to serve and to love money. Like, what is it that we really love? And so it's really important that we periodically cover this because we live in a generation and in a city that struggles with this idea of collecting resources mainly for ourselves instead of for the kingdom of God. This is why you have really good staff members, by the way. <laughs> Thank you, Sabra, for real. Right? So it's important that we begin to think about this in that sense, because to not think about this would be an idolatrous failure. We would fall headlong into idolatry if we are not careful to think about where our hearts are in regards to money. And so I want to admit the, <coughs> the fear of being misinterpreted is very real, real. Uh, but the threats to our hearts and souls, it is too great not to cover. And so to be really direct, so as not to be misinterpreted, uh, we are not after your money, but your money is after you. Right? Your money is trying to get you to love and follow and to serve it. Hence why Jesus talked about money more than almost anything else in all of the scriptures. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus made this really clear command that no one can serve two masters. Why? Well, you will either love the one and be, and be committed to the one, devoted to the one, and you will despise the other. Jesus then said, you cannot serve God and money. So either Jesus is lying at this moment, or we are all trying to practice something that's impossible to do. Most of us, if we're honest, are trying to serve God and money at the exact same time. And God does not need our giving, saints, right? Psalm chapter 50, verse 12, it says very clearly, if I were hungry, this is God speaking, I would not tell you. Why? Because the whole world and the fullness thereof are mine. <coughs> and so, like all of God's commands to give, clearly, which there are over a hundred of them in the scripture, God doesn't need it. If he were hungry, he would not be telling you that he was hungry. So why does he keep commanding it if God doesn't actually need it? Well, beloved, God does not need anything from you, but God does want things for you. And so in all the commands to give, it must be something that is being done for us rather than God needing something from us. Let me say this really clearly so that we don't miss this before we dive into the text. Money is a great, great trap for idolatry. One more dollar said every single rich man that ever lived. And then they have greater rates of depression than even the poor amongst us right? Every single generation before us, they lusted after money and possessions and they were never enough. So we would be foolish to think that you and I cannot easily fall into the same trap and temptation to accumulate things that perish and that rust. It is an idolatrous trap. However, this isn't the only reason that God commands us to give. He's not just trying to save us from worshiping a God that cannot satisfy, but he's also trying to take us to take this tempting thing called money and to make it submit to the kingdom of God. And this thing that would be an idolatrous trap can actually turn into a tool to advance the kingdom of God in really, really beautiful ways. Money can be a trap. Or money can be a tool if we use it for the Lord. And that tool can multiply in ways that our bank accounts never, ever could. 
Make sense? Okay, let me show you how this plays out in this text. Uh, Notice the discipleship framework that is right here in the midst of this text. Remember, heart, soul, mind, and strength. In verse 21, you notice that their hearts were stirred. Their soul, the spirit, moved them. Their strength was active. They brought physical contributions. So they were doing something with their hands. And then in verse 24, you see that their mind is also engaged. It says anyone who could make a contribution did. Meaning that they weren't reckless in their giving. They were uh, calculating, like personally thinking about, can I do this? And if they could do this, they went ahead and did it. So every part of them was at work in their obedience and in their command to give. Now, really important here, okay? They are building something that is for the Lord. You'll notice over and over again, it's talking about the tabernacle, which the tabernacle was where God had promised to dwell amongst his people. God said, hey, you cannot take my just free reign presence amongst you. So I'm going to take something physical and I'm going to descend into it. And I'm going to meet with you in that tabernacle so that you can begin to interact with me and I with you. Notice verse 21, 22, 24, and then two times in verse 29, it talks about how this is for or towards the Lord. So even though the priests were the ones that were generally using it, and God's manifest presence was not always displayed in the tabernacle, they knew that this was for God. Meaning in some ways, All of this giving was an act of faith. They had to believe that this was truly for God and that this was part of God's redemption plan. They had to believe that God would actually show up in this tabernacle and give all of this money to build this tabernacle in hopes that God would meet with them there. God promised in the New Testament that he would make his presence known as well. But rather than in the tabernacle, he said, I will make it known in the church of Christ. And so now it's the church of God that houses the presence of God through the people of God where God makes his manifest present most clearly known. And so much like Israel, our giving is an act of faith to say, we believe so much in God's redemption plan and we believe that God at times decides to make himself known amongst us and through us. And so we give to that end. And so giving is an act of faith to say, what you say is true, I believe it is. And so I give to that end. Notice in this text, their souls or their faith is actually what encouraged their hearts to be motivated towards this giving. Like, in other words, at times, our giving, it doesn't really feel like it is for or towards the Lord. It feels like we're giving towards a tabernacle or towards a church, and that makes it harder to give because it doesn't feel like it's going to the Lord. It feels like it's going to a physical building or a presence. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, y'all got to talk a little bit today because I need like some in-between space to clear my throat, all right? Um, Notice it was their souls that led their hearts, right? They recognized that they were doing this. This was truly for God. And this is what ended up guiding their giving. And that needs to be true for us as well. 
We have to recognize that our giving is a way to honor God as an act of obedience to him, but also as a way to get more of God for yourself and for others, believing that God will make himself known in the midst of the people of God, that as he promises to give towards something, that at times God will also meet where that something is so that you would have more of him. Here's why I say this. Think practically with me here. Uh, Notice uh, here in this text, as they gave, they got more of God. How? Well, their giving allowed the tabernacle to be built so that God could be amongst them. If they did not give, they would not have been able to build the tabernacle. And then would God have dwelled there? Well, maybe every once in a while, God in his act of grace would have showed up, but God promised the way that he wanted to show up regularly was through the tabernacle. In the New Testament, God said that he would dwell amongst us and make his presence known in the local churches. And so our giving to the churches where God said that he would dwell is a place where we can then see God move, meaning as you give, what should be happening is that you should be seeing more of the movement of God and in and through that, we should be getting more of God. Y'all tracking with that thought? Okay, like here's what I'm saying, y'all. This is not the prosperity gospel, okay? Uh, Where you give and then you get mansions and gold and cars and health in return. When you give, the scripture's motivation is not that you would get more material as if you're giving to an IRA that will end up paying you more later. When you give physically, it begins to manifest itself spiritually and what you end up getting is more of God, which should be our number one motivation anyway. That should be what stirs our hearts the most. You get the pleasure of knowing God, of being obedient to God, of literally saying, God, even if you decide not to show up in these ways, you and your glory is more significant than me and my momentary comfort. And so I am going to give to that end. It is an act of faith, y'all. This is something that God uses to then bless his kingdom. He takes this material and manifests his presence through it for the blessing of others. So does God need our money? No. Does God use our money? Yeah, actually. Now, at times it can be hard to give because we've seen shady churches before who use money inappropriately or shady organizations, right? And I get this, like genuinely, but I also want to ask, even in our giving, even if we ourselves, like I did growing up, gave to a shady organization, was it the church that you were giving to or the Lord? Right? Like think about Israel. In the tabernacle, it wasn't too long after this moment where Eli had these sons that were taking all of the people's giving and they were consuming it for themselves, even harming the women in the process. And yet here comes lowly Hannah who offers her gift to the Lord and God responds to Hannah and gives Hannah Samuel who ended up overthrowing the shadiness of the priest anyway and became a better high priest, meaning that God saw Hannah in her sacrifices because Hannah wasn't giving to Eli and the sons. She was giving to the Lord. So even in the shadiness, who is it that you're giving to? It is not some organization or some man or a woman. It is the Lord himself who sees your heart and decides to meet with you through it and even take those gifts and use it for his glory. If our giving is foreign towards the Lord, then God always honors it and blesses it with more of himself. 
to make his name known through you at times for the multitude of others, or to make his name known to you so that you would receive more of God. So his commands are not just given to save you from idolatry. They're also an invitation onto his greater mission. Like lowly you, right? Like us who should not really be serving the Lord can take something that is a potential idol and then make that idol bow down to end up worshiping a greater God. The same gold that was used to build the golden calf in Exodus 32 is now being used to build the temple here in Exodus 35, meaning that our money can be used for idolatrous self or for the kingdom of God. We just have to choose which master our money is going to serve. Will it serve us in our interest or God in his interest? This is what the scriptures are always showing us. Uh, A.W. Tozer, uh, uh, old school author and um, commentator and uh, just a dope writer, he says this. He says, as base a thing as money often is, base means human, plain, simple, uh, yet it can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. This is so cool. God's invitation to play into this redemptive act right along with him and to take material things and to make them eternal beauty. And notice this, friends, notice how it takes everyone in the process. Multiple times in Exodus 33, it talks about how everyone was coming together. It was not just the rich that were giving. And it doesn't say how much any of them gave either, because that wasn't the point of what was happening here. Everyone was needed in the building of the tabernacle. And the exact same thing is true in the church. This is corporate. The more the new community of God comes together, the more we can take a base thing like money and begin to see the kingdom of God reflected through it. And because of this, you get more of God in the process, which should always be our motivation anyway. Um, can I try to both encourage us and challenge us simultaneously? That's like really hard to do. It's like impossible actually, right? But help, let your hearts help me here to both encourage and to challenge us, right? Uh, giving ultimately is an act of faith. I know it doesn't sound like an encouragement or a challenge, but it really is, okay? Giving is an act of faith. It is saying, um, God, I could buy this new watch or save up for that car or I can have a safety net when I retire, or I could indulge, but I'm going to choose to believe that you and your kingdom is better, that you will provide for me as I am giving, that your kingdom is more important than any one of my comforts. And so therefore giving becomes this act of faith to say, God, your kingdom is better than this kingdom and your kingdom to come is more important than this kingdom of earth. Like giving is this beautiful interaction between you and God and it's showing you how much do you really believe what you're singing about on Sundays y'all 
Do you really believe this, right? Now, I'm not saying that we don't save or we don't pass on generations. Like the Proverbs and the scriptures are clear. Those are godly and good things as well. We're not being extreme here in the midst of this, but we are saying the scriptures often call for our sacrifice so that our hearts remember this earth is not our home. That stuff you're saving up for ain't you hauling you to heaven when you die. Right? In fact, the, the greatest treasures here on earth, the gold that often rots and rusts, is going to be what the streets are made of out of heaven because it's so worthless there. Like everything that we are trying to build, what are you trying to serve, y'all? What do you think it will do as you serve it? Do you think that money will end up satisfying you more than God? You serve something because you think of what it can give to you. Do you believe that God actually gives all of the things that he promises or does money have to substitute where God may fail you? Our hearts are showing us what we believe. We believe that God can fail us so we serve something else, right? This is what money is doing. It becomes this tool as a reflection of our hearts. I'm all off my notes as if I ain't sick in this mug, all right? Let me get back to this. Giving is the command of God, right? It takes all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength working so that we don't come up short in our loves of any other thing. Like we need each of these aspects working so that we don't begin to be trapped by this idea of money. So let's take this discipleship tool here and I wanna break it down really quickly. I want you to think about the Israelites, how their heart, soul, mind, and strength was all engaged as they were building up the tabernacle. And I want you to think about your giving. Like it's really hard to, to also be active as you're listening, but try really hard. Like why is it that you give? Uh, what parts of these are engaged in your giving? If you do not give, that's okay. What parts of you are missing so as to not have you give? Do you believe in God's mission in the local church? Do you believe in God's commands? Do you believe that God's commands are not burdensome, but for your joy? Like, like actually think about this. And what I wanna do is I wanna walk through each of these and highlight the idea of giving in each of them. You know, in the New Testament, we're called to give as well in multiple different ways. One of the things that we're called to do is we're called to give with our hearts. And what happens when we give with our hearts is God says that he loves a cheerful giver. So God wants us to be joyful in our giving. Go to the next slide for me. So in our joyful giving, what does it look like to actually engage our hearts in giving? Well, we say things like, I give from my heart. My emotions are involved in my giving. Like I love the feeling of giving because I'm believing that I'm getting to be a part of something that God is doing. It brings joy to me to recognize that I'm a part of this. Now here's the trick, y'all, is that within every one of these things that we're called to love and to, to, to give ourselves to, they also all have pitfalls as well. That if we over-index on any one of these loves and we don't engage the other three, then what will happen is we'll fall into that trap and we'll be over-motivated by our heart, but our minds or our strength or our souls won't help modify that and we'll end up falling into a trap because we give so much out of our heart, but we miss our mind in the process and what will happen is we'll stop giving. And many of us, we don't give because we've fallen into one of these four pitfalls. So in our joyous giving, in our heart, the pitfall here is that sometimes these types of people can be overly emotional, right? They, they do not do it very consistently or very sacrificially. They only do it when they feel good about giving. 
So, you know, the person that is watching the commercial and there's like really sad violin music playing and they're like, please save this dog. Do you want this dog to die? Right? And then they're like, oh yeah, I'll do it. And then we end up giving to it. Right? And then all of a sudden we keep doing that and we're like, yo, my bank account's running dry. I ain't giving no more. And what happens is, is we stop being obedient altogether because our hearts have pulled us really far and that is really good. God desires us to have cheer, joy in the midst of our giving, but our other loves have to modify that as well. We can't just be emotional givers. Y'all tracking with me so far? I said y'all gotta talk during the sermon. Come on now, okay? Second one, right? Uh, God calls us to be sacrificial givers all throughout the scripture. That's our soul. Our soul believes this so much that we're willing to make sacrifices for the sake of other things. So this is coming from this deep conviction inside of us where we say, I have faith. I know that what God says is true. And when I think about Jesus and how he has paid it all, I can't help but to give myself as well. Now here's the pitfall to this one. At times, entitlement begins to creep into our souls because we feel like we are owed something because of all of the sacrifices that we're making for the kingdom of God. Let me confess something to y'all. I love the church more with my soul than I do my heart, mind, or strength. And what happens is, is that when I get hurt by the church in some way, shape, or form, it makes it harder to serve God because all of a sudden entitlement creeps in. And I say, man, does this person not know how much I sacrifice for this church? And all of a sudden, my soul is outpacing my mind because my mind can say, look, you are broken as well and need the grace of the gospel. And I go, oh yeah, that's right. Right? So we need all four loves to modify. Y'all following? Okay, keep going. So our, our hearts need to be engaged. Our souls need to be engaged. Our minds need to be engaged as well. God calls us to be thoughtful givers. That means we give with intention and purpose. This is doing things like we set a budget so that we don't fall into debt, so that we can actually give even that much more. We are consistent and we're, we're thinking about our giving. Some of us have a hard time giving because we don't control our impulses in other areas of our finances because we're not thoughtful with our money, right? No amens there. All of us are great, right? <laughs> I know the credit card stats, right? It's like, no, our emotions are pulling our credit cards ahead of us and our mind needs to help pull that back to modify it. And so the pitfall here though, is that if our minds are too active, what will happen is we'll start being skeptical and we'll start overthinking things and we'll no longer give by faith. We'll no longer give in submission to God. When God says to do something wild and to give out of this world, we'll be like, ah, that's not very practical. Therefore, I'm not going to do that. And so we can also be over thoughtful. The last one is our strength, our, our hands, our activity. That means we're an obedient giver. We actually do what God calls us to do. He says to give, so we do it because we believe in God. This is our willingness to obey the scriptures. That's our thoughtfulness to take things like the command to tithe throughout the scripture and go, okay, I get it. In the New Testament, we're no longer under the law of Mosaic law per se, but yet Christ has fulfilled the law so we can take this as a base, uh, as, a, as, a, as a benchmark and we can go, hey, how can I even outdo this? Like, how can I show my gratitude for Christ? Jesus didn't just give me 10% of his blood, he gave all of it. How do I begin to give all of myself and begin to honor God in that way as well? However, 
If we're too uh, strong in our strength, in our obedience, then sometimes you just become robotic and you move out of this habit or out of obligation, right? Go to the next slide. It has all of them. I saw some of y'all taking out your phone and taking pictures. You can take pictures of this one. All of them on the same screen, okay? Um, Think about the reality of this. Uh, And your phone should be able to zoom in unless you got that like iPhone 3, all right? Uh, Then you can use your money to buy a new iPhone. Permission, okay. Um, Heart, soul, mind, strength. Uh, Where are you strong at? Like I'm actually asking you right now, right? Like when you think about these things, where are you like, oh, I give from those ends. Uh, Where are some pitfalls from you? Are there areas where maybe you are a little bit over-exaggerated in your giving and therefore you may not be giving the way that God desires you to because you're thinking about those ones too well? Can you allow one of these loves to actually help grow your other loves? Like, can your heart begin to motivate your hands? Can your soul begin to motivate your strength? Can you pray to God where maybe you lack some of this and ask him to give it to you because God loves to give? You know those prayers where you're like, God, sanctify me and make me more like you. And then you suffer for the next year. (laughs) God answers our prayers, right? So if you're like, God, help me too. God's gonna answer this, okay? Um, I told you I struggle with preaching on money. It's because I don't wanna seem like Creflo Dollar in this mug, right? Which the name itself, doggone, Creflo Dollar, dog. The enemy just be dancing on the saints sometimes. Yeah, what the heck, right? Prosperity gospel preacher, okay. Uh, but also it's hard for me to practice this as well, which makes it really hard for me to preach this. Here's where it makes it hard for me to practice, just so y'all know where I'm at. I'm not just up here like, oh, we're doing all this, right? Um, I struggle with the strength pitfall of giving, Uh, There ain't some humble brag either, like, oh, I give a lot, and therefore, no, no, no. Like, I genuinely struggle with it. Um, I often do not allow my mind or my heart to modify my strength in my giving. So I give very obediently. In fact, it's set up where it pulls out naturally every single first of the month. And do you know how often I think about that money? Almost never. And so it just pulls out automatically. And what happens is, is my mind can't think about the reality of what's happening. So it disengages my heart and I no longer find joy in all of the giving that is happening around me because my obedience is active, but my heart is missing. So I'm missing full worship of God. So guess what parts of me God doesn't have in my giving? My heart. Like I never give cheerfully. I don't give begrudgingly. I'm not like, oh, I'd rather do this. Like just personally, and it's okay if you do, but I'm just telling you my heart, God wants more for me. And imagine if my joy began to catch up to my obedience, would I not be more in love with the beauty of God and more submitted to the goodness of God? Right? Do you see how God is trying to use all of this to help us form to become more like his son? Was Jesus not joyful when he gave his blood for you? Yes, it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us. So Jesus was thinking about what is to come and lay down his life in the process, right? God does not have this piece of me. Uh, We can see this even in our text, right? Uh, Look at verse 28 really quick. There's something really cool to note here. Uh, Verse 28, some people brought olive oil, which is dope. Uh, Olive oil, it says in this text, was used for either anointing certain things or for lighting the lamp with the oil that was needed to give light to the temple. Um, The givers didn't know what their oil would go to, 
But every time they walked into the tabernacle, they should have at least looked around and realized my giving is going to one of these things. Either this stuff is anointed because of my giving or we can all see now because of my giving. Now I'm about to introduce something here called uh, Generosity Sunday, which where we'll raise above for certain things that we hope to advance the mission of God in as a church. I'll introduce that in a second. Uh, but we did this a couple of years ago, if you've been with us for a while. And the last time that we, gave, or that we did this, Natalie and I gave like a bunch of money. Uh, well, a bunch of money for a pastor on one salary with four kids, all right? It was a sacrifice for us. Let me say it like that, okay? And then I forgot all about it, y'all, because I just told you, my mind and my heart don't engage in my giving. I completely forgot about the giving that happened. So my strength was present, I was obedient, and my soul was present. We were genuinely sacrificial, but my mind and my heart, we forgot about it. So I didn't come into church and go, dog, those speakers which we all hear worship and are interacting with God through, that maybe God has met you in a supernatural way through the worship or the preaching of the word. The reason that you're able to hear me today, even though I'm sick, is because of those speakers and those cost about how much I gave last year. So maybe my money went to the anointing oil or went to the lamp that lit up everything. Maybe it went to these speakers and now the gospel is being advanced because of something material material like that, spiritual things begin to happen, won't my heart be joyful at that moment, y'all? Like, won't I begin to recognize, oh, this is indeed worth it. But if my mind and my heart are disengaged, it is unlikely that my strength and my soul will maintain over the long haul because we need all four aspects of our loves to really follow God with all of ourselves. That is true in any of the commands of Christ, including this one to give. Y'all following? Right? So it's really significant, important that we think about this. I don't think about it as enough, so I miss the worshipful moments in my giving. I hope you can see where you're tempted to do the same. We have to have our loves engaged so we can rightly follow and serve and, and love Jesus with all of ourselves. Not missing obedience, right? Like yes and amen, let's do the things that God calls us to do, but also not waning in our obedience because our other loves aren't activated and we end up becoming pharisaical or robotic in our service to Christ. God wants all of us. And so in general, uh, this year has been a uh, year for giving for our church. Uh, here's just an honest reality. Ever since we planted the well, we have budgeted uh, the first four years real conservatively. When I say real conservatively, our first year's budget was $31,000, okay? Now, we didn't have a ton of people, right? But we were like, hey, we don't know if we're going to make it. Let's just go as minimal as possible. And God blew that number out of the wazoo. Then the next three years, we did the same thing. God always brought in way more than we thought. So we were like, hey, we don't want to just be sitting on a bunch of money. So actually, let's try to outgive God like that's even possible, right? And so we started going, hey, let's actually be really sacrificial. Let's do more than what we think God could do. And every single year, God actually matched it and always ended up bringing in way more than we needed. Last year was the one exception to that. We got way less and started eating into our reserves, which was totally okay. We planned for that. And then this year we went, okay, let's get like conservative again so that we don't eat so much into our reserves that we have to end up firing Jason. Sorry, I just happen to be looking at you. We wouldn't do that. Your wife's sitting next to you. Sorry, dog, we wouldn't do that, okay? Right? But it's like, hey, like, let's actually get a little bit more conservative. And we've actually still been falling short of our actual budget. 
And so we're thinking about introducing a new rhythm as a church uh, that we actually go above and beyond our regular giving each year for Thanksgiving, for Giving Tuesday, and then for end of the year giving, which we know impacts a lot of us as Americans. Now, notice in this text real quick, and I'm going to tell you why I said this general giving in a second before introducing this. In the text, this was a free will offering, it says here, meaning it was over and above their regular giving. And so I just want to say really directly, if you do not give regularly, I would encourage you to do this. That act of obedience is the most significant. They were building this special tabernacle, but they already had all these sacrificial systems that were set up by which to create atonement for the people of Israel, by which to regularly run in the way that God called them to run as, as a people. We have the same thing as a church. We have certain needs, certain things that come up. This place costs money to rent, right? Like there are certain things. So if you don't give regularly, I would say, hey, like begin to ask yourself, why not? Which parts of my love are unengaged, right? If your regular giving looks like giving like 0.5%, it's like, hey, how can I actually increase that? That is not to throw any amount of shade by any stretch of the imagination. It's to say, can God do more the more that you give? And so rather than getting a speaker like this, we get one like that and more people can hear, right? Like it's like, no, no, no. Like we actually are thinking about that very genuinely, but we also wanna do above and beyond. That's the free will offering aspect. And so what we want to do as a church is we actually want to uh, introduce this rhythm where once a year around Thanksgiving, we do this kind of generosity Sunday where we actually give above and beyond our regular giving so as to try to advance the mission of God faster than what we could do in just regular, uh, regular efforts, right? Uh, we did that a couple of years ago where we gave and some of the money went into this literal building to buy the chairs, to buy the stage, to buy the things that we needed. And we gave just enough to end up covering it almost to perfection in terms of dollar counts, which is really cool. But we didn't just give to the building either because we always want to be advancing the mission of God as well. And so I want to introduce the things that I would encourage us to pray about giving to now. You can throw them on the screen there. There are four areas where we want to think about giving. We're calling it a vision fund. Can we see the vision of God and what he's wanting to do in this city? Our largest need, we believe, as a church and as a culture is actually to see more people coming into the knowledge of Jesus. We want to do more with our outreach. We want to do more with the awareness of, hey, we're here as a church. There are other churches that are around. Like God is present and active and moving. Come engage with us. We want to see people go from darkness into light, y'all. And so we want to literally use our money to that end. The reason why we picked outreach is because this whole fall, we've been focusing on discipleship. So we got a lot of internal focus on the building up of the saints, but how do we now also do external focus towards inviting people to become saints, towards inviting them in towards the, the mission, the vision, the beauty of God. And so 40% of all of our giving will actually go towards that where we will give and whatever we give extra over and above, it'll go towards outreach. Here's what we actually did as a staff team. We had our staff team say, hey, all of you, let's just pretend that you have like an endless fund by which you have extra resources. I want you to create proposal plans to how you would use the money to actually do like real evangelism, like real activity. So that it's not just like, oh, here's all this extra money. What the heck do we do with it? We actually have 17 proposals that people have already created that says, this is how we're going to use the money. And so there's simple things like CG block parties so that we actually just let people know, hey, all these cars that are in front of your house once a week, 
Like, you can come join us, right? Like, like we're here. These are, this is a church. Like, we want to bless you. Things like serving here at Eastside, like showing up at a soccer game and blessing all of the families and trying to build relationships there and, and giving the school what they need on that end and, and different things like that. There are all these different ways by which we're thinking about using these funds. And we kind of just have it as, hey, as much as we raise, that's as much as we're able to do. Okay. Uh, the second, our largest uh, really vision in the midst of that is actually our church planting. We are always going to be thinking about church planting as a church. We want to plant churches nationally and plant them internationally as well. So 20% goes to that. We also want to make big impacts. And the area where we think we can make the biggest impact is here at Eastside. And so we want to give 15% towards serving Eastside. That's really simple things like getting the teachers Christmas gifts or uh, getting them supplies that they need or uh, helping to build little things that they need in the midst of the school so that we can be a blessing to the place that blesses us every single Sunday and also hopefully make an impact here for the sake of the gospel. And then one of the things we want to focus on over the next couple of years is the residency program that you heard about last week. We want to have a space where people who are thinking about ministry can come in and test it in the midst of the local church. And the money that we're raising is going to particularly go towards minorities or women who have historically had a harder time raising their support. It's really easy when you look at all organizations, uh, for example, people that go internationally, 93% uh, of them are white. It makes sense because in the black and brown church, there's often not a whole lot of talk about support raising. So you end up at this deficit. So you may want to go, but don't have the means by which to go because that idea hasn't even permeated into the church. So we're saying, hey, let's actually focus on that. So as to create space to where we can continue to plant diverse churches and raise up people who desire, but often can't be raised up in other contexts, let's give to that end to create on-ramps for them. Y'all tracking with all of this? We think that God can do more than anything that we think or ask. In fact, that's what Ephesians 3.20 says. And so we almost called this vision fund the wellaustin.com forward slash 320. Um, but we sounded, that sounds way too much like 420, okay? <laughs> and if you're a good Christian, you have no idea what that is. But if you just got baptized last week, we don't want to make you stumble as you type that in, Okay. <laughs> And so instead, we said the wellaustin.com slash fund, okay, F-U-N-D, fund, all right, way easier. Uh, and so what we want to encourage you to do is like actually think about, hey, would God be calling me to give sacrificially even towards this, to see more outreach, to see more church planting? Even within church planting, Travis submitted a proposal that would use funds that would go to the elementary school right in the area where he wants to meet. And he would be able to, rather than use his limited resources, could use our resources to help him as a church plant. So there's all these plans that are already in action. Now, here's the deal, okay? Notice in the text real quick. Let's go back to the text. Verse 20, the first part, it says that they withdrew, okay? You see that there in verse 20? They thought about the tabernacle, and then they withdrew, and they departed from the presence of Moses, and then they started giving. In other words, they thought about what God was calling them to do. So I'm not gonna collect some big offering right now, okay? It's like we preach on it, and then it's like, now give to it. That's emotional giving only, right? And our hearts should be engaged. You should think about people who don't know Jesus and go, yo, I want them to know Jesus more. I wanna give to that end. But I also want your minds, your souls to be engaged as well. So I would encourage you, seek the Lord, pray, 
Ask him, God, would you have me give to this? If so, how much? Would you have me give sacrificially even to this? If you're not giving at all, maybe you feel like the Israelites here where your heart is being stirred as we're talking about it. I would encourage you to submit to the stirring of the spirit, to do what God's calling you to do, not out of obligation, but out of love for him. And let me tell you something, y'all. Well, I do hope that mission stirs your heart. Uh, literally building a more present tabernacle here in the city of Austin, like through missions and through evangelism, trying to make people who are not tabernacles become the tabernacle of God that God himself decides to dwell in. Like, I hope that those things genuinely stir your heart and encourage you. I want to leave us with what I believe should encourage us and give us a way greater motivation to stir our heart, soul, mind, and strength toward this idea of generosity, and that is looking at the person of Jesus himself, the cross of Christ. Saints, look at the text again one more time. Notice how it says the colors, the the oils, the spices. Notice how it kept mentioning the women over and over and over again. Those are all of the ingredients for the crucifixion and the resurrection of our King Jesus, where the women were present. And the same colors that are mentioned in Exodus are also mentioned at the cross of Christ. And the same oils is exactly what Chris talked about when the woman anointed Jesus's feet for his burial. And the same spices are what the women were coming to bring to lay at the tomb of Jesus. These are the ingredients for the crucifixion of Christ. But saints, Jesus was the greater tabernacle of God. John chapter 1 verse 14 says very clearly that Jesus came, he became flesh and he dwelt. That's a really bad word. The word is actually he tabernacled amongst us. That just doesn't translate well into English, so we just translate it as dwelt. But it says that Jesus tabernacled. He became the tabernacle of God amongst us. Not built with human hands, Acts 17, 24 would tell us, but the very person of God carrying the very presence of God, Colossians 1, 19 would tell us. And yet this tabernacle was destroyed. And as his side was pierced with the spear, out of his side came the blood and the water. And at that very moment, the temple curtain was divided in two. And now, instead of one priest going into the presence of God, all of us now, because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, have access to God. And in our generosity and our giving is actually an act of understanding the very grace of God. It is us imitating God himself because you do not serve a selfish God. You serve a benevolent God. You do know that in the very gospel message, like the verse that is probably most quoted as the gospel, it says, for God so loved the world that he was generous. He gave, right? He gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God has already given us the greatest gift. So now in our giving, all we're trying to do is help everybody else to receive that gift that we ourselves have received as well, because we believe that God is good. We believe that God is worthy. And so family, we have an opportunity to take a base of thing like gold, a normal thing and turn it into heavenly riches. And so in all of our extra giving that we give this year, let's say we give $300,000 for evangelism, praise God. And if with that $300,000, it turns into only one more person coming to faith, is that worth it? 
my gosh, the blood of Jesus Christ would proclaim over that new bought child of God that it was worth it. And we know that, right? We just don't think about it like that. And so what if in all of our giving, it translates into one more person coming in, one more space created for a staff team member that would end up being building up our church? Like it becomes worth it, y'all. What if God does far more abundantly than all we can think or ask? What if it turns into hundreds of people coming to faith in our King Jesus? We have to remember this as we give. So I would encourage you as we close, like where are you at in following the command of Jesus to give generously, to give cheerfully, to give obediently? How is it that you can grow in this? Is God calling you to help advance the mission of God? And as you think about it, can you personally find joy and gratitude in God using you, lowly OU? with something as plain as money, what if God chooses to take that, to transmute that, and to give souls into the kingdom that one day when you stand before his presence and there are humans, the only thing that is eternal, standing there right along with and said, yes, because of your generosity, this led to me being here. Thank you. It becomes worth it, y'all. We just have to live our lives with eternity in mind. What if we can make a home for other Christians? I pray that we would forever be a church that's generous, right? Like even in our regular giving, y'all, outside of all of this, 20% of what we give immediately goes out the door. I would rather use 20% to actually hire more staff team members. But we're like, no, we need to be generous even as a church. So I pray we would forever be a church collectively that would actually be generous in our giving and individually that we would be generous as a testimony to our own souls and to the world around us. This earth is not our home. God is better and we know where we're going, and we want to see him glorified. Amen? Some of y'all prayed for me because I got through the sermon. My throat feels good. Thank you. For real. I love you all. Let's pray together. Um, let's do a prayer exercise real quick as the, as the worship team comes back up on the stage. Um, I want to invite us to literally pray into what we were just talking about. So if you would, just begin to, hey, Spirit of God, would you meet with me in this moment? Would you pray this to the Lord? God, would you show me where my heart or my soul or my mind or my strength or maybe all of them are disengaged in my giving? Maybe the Spirit's not convicting you about giving. Maybe he's convicting you about loving your wife, serving your kids, serving the church with your time. Maybe you don't have money to give right now. Like the women in the text, they wouldn't have had money, not in that culture. So they start serving with their hands. They're giving what they can. Like maybe God's convicting you on something else. I don't know what it is, right? Would you ask spirit, what are you calling me to? Last week when we dedicated the babies, we kept saying these statements like, these children are not ours, they're God's. We're the stewards. We want to shoot them out like arrows into the kingdom. This money is not ours. This time is not ours. This is the Lord's. Ask the Spirit to speak to you, even right now, in these 30 seconds. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to us, whatever it is that you want to say.
You know, it's really interesting. Uh, God told the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians before they left. Meaning everything they were giving was not theirs. They were slaves. They had nothing to give. It was from what God had already provided for them. He was just saying, hey, now give it back to me. And the same is true. We know that with us. God did not have to give you that brain to get the job that you have. Did not have to let you be born in the family that you were born into to land where you are today. Every single thing that we have is the Lord's. And he says, hey, I've already plundered the world for you. Now will you use this for me? It's the same concept, y'all. And so God, I pray you would take a base thing like money, our time, the very breath in our lungs that you will one day transmute into eternal breath. We will live forever if we believe in you. Would you take these things here on earth and would you use them for the kingdom? God, I pray for everybody who walked into this church today, maybe unsure of where they were in a relationship with you. Friend, maybe you came in and you're unsure if you're a Christian, right? Like all of this maybe sounds like, ah, like what is this with giving? I hope you saw some of the beauty of Christ in this. But I want you to know that God doesn't want or need your money. I would encourage you, maybe not even to feel any of the, the challenge even. This is us who like believe in the Lord saying, hey, everything we have is yours. We wanna give this more. Like your challenge is to give your life to Christ. Not your wallet, doesn't need it, not your, but your life to say, Jesus, I am yours. And so maybe today during the sermon, maybe during worship, maybe God was interacting with you in a different way and he was inviting you into relationship with himself. God gave his son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have life everlasting. If you believe in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you, I want to follow you. He becomes your God, you become his people, that is your offering to the Lord today, is your very life. And for God, who all of us who have offered our life for you, because you first offered your life for us, I pray that you would teach us, speak to us, let us know what you're calling us to do. Now and forever, we praise in your beautiful name, God. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.